This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hello, and welcome to Lens Me Your Ears. This is a film podcast where we usually watch something new in cinemas and then seek its predecessor's cinematic antecedents that might have led here. Movies in the same genre by the same filmmaker or featuring a prominent actor. It gives us a chance to watch things we haven't seen and revisit films we haven't seen in ages. Hopefully, Lends Me Your Ears will introduce the films you might want to see, too. My name is Karsten Knox. I am a film writer. I have a blog called Flaw in the Iris you can find at halifaxbloggers.ca. Hey, my name's Stephen Cook. I'm an arts writer here in Halifax at the Chronicle Herald. And you can find me on Twitter at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. On this, our 100th episode, we're talking about the in-cinema experience. We can't go and see something new in theaters right now, but we can talk about how important it is to us and share a few of the best times we've had sitting in the dark, watching the flickering light with friends and strangers. We're also going to step back and dig through past episodes, maybe offer a few suggestions of our favorite to date and just have a good catch-up remotely of course about what we've been watching on these strange strange days here on lens me your ears hi karsten it's good to be back on the show and it's hard to believe that Lens Me Your Ears has reached its 100th episode. And obviously for the last little while, we've known we were going to hit this milestone. It was lurking around the corner. Uh, but of course, we had no idea that when it did hit, we would be in such strange and bizarre and non-movie going times, <laughs> which is kind of rough for a podcast that's all about going to the movies. But um, here we are. We've we've reached the, the century mark. And we thought we would kind of do a retrospective look back at, at doing the show itself, uh, some favorite movie experiences, maybe some things that we're looking forward to when we were able to get back to the theaters and the, the movies uh, start rolling out onto the screens again. And, and uh, so so this show is, is going to be kind of a, a grab bag of, uh, of, of different thoughts about the show and about films and uh, and it kind of harkens back to uh how it all began really when uh essentially uh jason at village sound i guess was just overhearing us gab about movies and thought there might be a show in that <laughs> yeah yeah and it's funny how quickly it's passed i when we first talked about you know the hundredth episode i think we had said just in passing oh yeah back in 2016 well in fact it was 2015 we missed a whole year uh <laughs> when i actually went back to count all the episodes and see where we started we started in march 2015 um and uh it has gone by really quickly and i you know full credit to the gentleman at village sound for having you know i guess confidence or suggesting that this might be something we could do um and it really has been a lot of fun uh you know i I hope it's been fun for people listening we don't hear that much from our listeners but i know they're out there because every once in a while i'll talk to someone and they will mention you know that they've they heard one of our episodes and then uh and it's you know it's it's and it's fun for us so so there you go that's (laughs) that's the crux (laughs) of it hopefully if it's fun for us it's fun for other people too oh definitely and uh it's it's yeah it's Five years gone by like that. It's uh, it's amazing to consider all the movies that we've watched uh, over the course of this film. I mean, if you think that those 100 episodes, usually we watch, you know, between five and 
10 sometimes <laughs> to our detriment uh movies per episode uh so that's you know between 500 and 600 movies maybe that we've watched as a result of of uh, doing this show which is pretty amazing I, I think it's been a great resource just to have that impetus to check out things that maybe we wouldn't necessarily have watched or or encourage us to dip into our collections and rewatch things that we've uh, spent our hard-earned shekels on to uh, to line the, the shelves in, in our apartments and uh it, it's yeah it, it's just been great all around to to have this show to to look forward to doing it every every couple of weeks and also to to look forward to delving into movies uh, on a regular basis and keep up that healthy movie diet as it were mm-hmm. and you've definitely challenged me to watch things i wouldn't have otherwise watched uh occasionally <laughs> with the suggestions of show topics that i have less interest in but i'm like okay let's give it a try and then i'm actually almost always pleasantly surprised by some of the films and genres and filmmakers we've explored. And it's good for me to, to, I think between us, I think you have a lot more uh, background in, in earlier film going back to, well, going back 50 years and beyond. Whereas I tend to be more interested in films that are more contemporary. So, so it's good. It's a good, it's a good challenge for me to go back and watch earlier movies, older movies. Um, but man, starting going back to 2015, um, that first, you know, run of say, uh, 10 or 20 topics. It was, it was such a pleasure because basically we had no concern over, duplicating anything we had done previously and the topics were just you know whatever came into our heads uh at the time based on what was in cinemas uh you know from time travel movies our very first episode to new york movies the post-apocalyptic movies vampires musical biopics so much fun i remember when we did submarine movies (laughs) <laughs> uh, in episode nine, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that's, there's lots of submarine movies, such a strange genre and so specific. And then we watched them all. And basically, with the maybe the exception of Das Boot or Hunt for Red October, they're all the same. Like Pretty they're basically <laughs> the same movie over and over again. They're shot similarly. They have the similar notes. They have the similar visual cues. It's uh, <laughs> it's it was quite a a journey underwater with that one uh, to uh, to you know I mean it, it was quite delightful as well. But I I did I, I <laughs> it was it was a funny genre to choose right out of the gate basically. Well, I mean, the, the show has bounced around so much from, you know, so we've, we've picked some, you know, some pretty obvious ones. You're looking at the work of a certain director or a certain actor, um, possibly a memorial one if, if someone has passed away uh, and we want to sort of commemorate their work in some way. Um, you know, I mean, those are kind of fairly easy shows to do, but a lot of fun to do. Often you get to dive into maybe pick some titles that aren't as well known or that you weren't familiar with or that sort of thing. But I do like picking something just like submarines or something like that or you know movies movies about ireland or whatever i i i'm still laughing about the fact that that very first show uh i mean we talked about time travel movies which is you know one of the uh, one of the real foundations of, of fantastic filmmaking is to discuss themes of time travel i mean we and it's it's something that goes back to to hg wells and continues today movies like predestination and so and looper and i mean it's it's a theme that's never going to go away people are always going to play around with that theme but the movie that we kicked off that show with was uh spongebob squarepants a sponge (laughs) out of water i mean 
I, my brain hurts from trying to think about how we worked that one in, but uh, you know, it had a go. major time. It had a major time travel element to it, <laughs> but it was also a movie that was hard. I mean, I, I remember saying at the time, like we had watched it two weeks earlier and I was trying to remember all the plot twists and it was it was very convoluted. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'll give SpongeBob some credit. I, I enjoy the SpongeBob franchise. Uh, you know, there's some really great talent behind that character, and those even even the half-hour shows, you know, have have a lot to recommend them. So, you know, I I, I certainly I certainly wasn't going to get on my high horse about a SpongeBob movie. And in fact, I, I try not to be a movie snob, as it were. You know, I, I'm happy to do the popcorn movies, and I'm happy to talk about uh, you know Godard and and Herzog too. So. You know, I, I feel like I feel like one of the great things about this show is that we can run that gamut. There's, there's no film that's too, you know, I don't, I don't know when we'll get to our Adam Sandler episode, but, uh, you know, it could happen at some it point down happen. the road. Uh, <laughs> certainly there's some there's been some more interesting stuff in his uh, filmography as of late. So uh, that that, you know, I won't count it out. You know, why? Why? Uh, why limit yourself? I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I have to. F- Full credit to you, Stephen. Uh, through this series and through this podcast, I've become a, a fan of a Jean-Pierre Melville, whose work I was not particularly familiar with previously. Really enjoyed uh, Army of Shadows and The Red Circle. Um, also really enjoyed uh, Episode 54, which was our black exploitation uh, film, look at films uh, by African-American uh, filmmakers. Uh, Trouble Man and the Spook Who Sat by the Door were both amazing yeah. movies um and yeah and our our live uh in front of an audience episode episode 18 where we talked about alfred hitchcock i mean i i knew the big ones right i'd seen a few of i seen vertigo and and psycho and the birds but uh uh and i guess north by northwest but a lot of his stuff going back to the 20s uh and the lodger i remember we watched the lodger and i was just like this is amazing like he anyway i just i didn't quite realize how brilliant Hitchcock was going back to the very beginning of his career. And that's uh, many thanks to you for suggesting these, uh, you know, these films and, uh, and these topics. Yeah. There's always so many corners you can dive into. And, and in, in, in some ways, you know, the, the streaming world offers more opportunities to, to visit some of those corners. Uh, you know, although I, I feel like with the demise of, of those really well-curated video stores like Critics' Choice and Video Difference here in Halifax, you know, we do miss out, I think, uh, on on a lot of that ability because a lot of that stuff has not turned up uh, on streaming or online or what have you. You really either have to shell out for physical media yourself or or really go hunting to find it. But but even even the best known filmmaker of all time, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, there's going to be stuff like stage fright or under Capricorn or, or, um, you know, that young and innocent from, from his early British sound days, that there's going to be those little corners that you want to explore. And even if they're not thought of as great films in his catalog, you might still get something out of them. You, you'll see that touch at work. Um, you know, either in some form of suspense or the use of color or the, the, you know the performances it's it's always it's always great to kind of turn over those cinematic stones and see what you can find even if it's not a masterpiece or or uh you know a classic for all times there's usually something going on in there that's that's worth uh worth examining 
Yeah, and and um, to take it in entirely the other direction, uh, I I also really enjoyed our uh, fair more recent episode eighty four about Keanu Reeves. Uh, f- just to spend time watching movies featuring Keanu Reeves and seeing the breadth of the kind of work that guy has done. Uh, you know, everything from Gus Van Zant to Point Break to when he plays like you know or destination wedding uh he, he just he, the he's such a charming presence on screen and uh and going back to watch a bunch of his movies all at once kind of gave me more i mean i always liked keanu uh but seeing the breadth and depth of his work i i have much more respect for him now uh than i think i've ever had before and uh you know and recognizing of course we're in the middle of a keanu sant so <laughs> you know <laughs> Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, and there's like films that we didn't revisit for that show that I almost kind of want to go back. I want to go back and watch Johnny Mnemonic again, because I I feel like I feel like maybe I only saw it the one time when it played in theaters. And I feel like there's a may have been a layer of humor through that that I didn't pick up on, because I think that was when people were kind of liking to pick on Keanu and 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 I, I I recall a scene where he's talking about like his crisp clean shirts and stuff and I, I think that was completely tongue-in-cheek and maybe I didn't take that the right way at the time or what have you but I I, I feel like uh some of these episodes when I'm looking at the list I think oh I think of some of the films that we weren't able to get around to and and watch uh for those and not that I want to necessarily revisit any topics but but uh, for example, you know, we did a show on Burt Reynolds shortly after he passed away, and of course, we only, you know, dipped our toe in because he's he had such a broad and vast filmography. But there's some of those films from the '70s that I never really got to spend a ton of time with, you know, the like Seamus and uh, and Hustle and some of these other um, films that may not have been uh, well remembered classics. But I feel like that Burt charm is is probably worth uh, giving those a, a spin at some point or another. Well, you know, there's no reason not to. Uh, no, of course we not. talk about him on the show or not. But uh, but it is true that we are now aired on CKDU uh, 88.1 FM. And uh, that does keep us uh, in mind. I mean, every time we do this, there's not a lot of editing, a little bit, but not a lot of editing on our uh, on this podcast. But, uh, but we do keep in mind that we have to sort of fit it within an hour. Uh, the early episodes, we were a little less, uh, conscious of time and we we rambled a little more and and we i think had a we might have watched even more movies than we could fit like i think maybe our my personal favorite uh episode to date is uh the spy movie episode uh episode i guess that's episode 12 and maybe it's because i have such a fondness for the genre actually i know that's the reason but uh we watched so many movies for that um that episode it went on i think we went like an hour and 20 minutes or so and uh uh it was such a discovery for me to realize that there were all these movies that have no cultural cachet at all like i movies i'd never heard of starring actors who are not well known at all now in leading roles and uh and just to be and just to find find how much fun they were um and i think that was the beginning of my recognizing that uh Max von Sydow was uh, uh, just had this incredible career. Like aside from from Bergman, aside from uh, Flash Gordon, aside from Strange Star Brew. Wars, <laughs> yeah, Strange Brew is his breadth and depth uh, in these 
in these genre films, uh, it was incredible. It kept showing up as as you know basically Russian spies and and or Eastern European villains. And uh, oh, that was that was just so much fun to do. Yeah, well, he was in the the Kremlin letter and I think the Quiller memorandum and a bunch of these. I mean, he was he was a yeah. busy guy. You know, and he was still doing the Bergman films. He was usually doing one Bergman film, if not one a year, one every couple of years. And uh, but but also you know doing these kind of glorified cameo roles in some of these big international co-productions and and uh, i'm still discovering him in those kind of kind of films um and uh, i i love that spy one as well it's it's a genre i never get tired of i always find new twists on it and uh you know there there i i've just i've learned there's a couple of uh, john le carré films from the 60s uh you know because after that that i've never seen because after the the spy came in from the cold uh was a big hit so of course uh, producers started latching on to other uh, properties by him and uh, i think there's uh there's a couple of things like that on criterion channel at the moment now not everybody has criterion channel but i i highly recommend it um because the the volume of stuff that's on there is is amazing and i i the other day my subscription renewed and i realized i don't think i'd really been getting my full money's worth out of it like i just had you know i've been watching maybe one film a week on it or something like that and i I thought well that might not be enough to justify paying for this i really but i don't want to dump it either because it's such a great resource so i really kind of upped my game on watching stuff on criterion channel and i've noticed there's like a whole selection of obscure spy movies from the 60s and 70s that that all look fascinating so i've put them all on my watch list and i may have to have a day where i just binge obscure (laughs) 60s and 70s spy movies Amazing. Well, if you find things that you really like, Stephen, we should uh, consider a, a part two of our spy movie uh, uh, I'm down for episode. That. Yeah, because that's something I, I know I would enjoy. Well, uh, we, but I have to I have to we ask, do have another like, Bond film in the wings at some point. So at some point. Yes. Yeah, that could uh, could uh, send us off in that direction. But but I, I have to ask uh, of all these episodes we've done, were there any that was your favorite or or maybe I should more specifically, were there any where you watch things that you wouldn't have watched otherwise and you found uh, you were discovering, you know, things you, you didn't know about. Uh, there's, there's certainly quite a few. I mean, uh, the first one that comes to mind is that we did a Meryl Streep uh, tribute episode, uh, thankfully because she's still with us. <laughs> not because she's, <laughs> yes. she's, she's passed along. And, you know, I finally got to get to a bunch of titles. I'd never watched Sophie's Choice before, which I feel like was a major blind spot because it's, you know, it's such a powerful story and she's so great in it. And Kevin Klein is so great in it. Um, and uh, so it was. But it's it's not light viewing that movie like it. It isn't. But it's a bit of it's a bit of a mountain. <laughs> it, it is. And and I also, uh, you know, we did a Daniel Day-Lewis uh, show when Phantom Thread came out. And it was great to, to see some of that stuff for the first time and also to revisit some some favorites. And, and so, you know, that was a. A great way to, to fill in a bunch of gaps. Uh, I liked uh, I liked her show focusing on uh, female comic actors and female comedians, uh, sparked by I think uh, was a train wreck. It was Amy Schumer anyway. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I film. feel pretty maybe. Yeah, it might have been that one because I, I yeah a train wreck. I think might predate this uh, this show. I remember I saw a train wreck at the drive-in theater in the Annapolis Valley. That was how long ago? Oh, awesome. I saw it. But um, you know th- that was great and great to highlight some of those performances. Uh, and we did uh, we did a show about Nova Scotia films, films that were shot in Nova Scotia, um, and uh, that that was like. 
that was pretty early. I'm trying to think of when that was, but uh, but I certainly enjoyed uh, seeing a couple of things for the first time, and some of them recent, and revisiting some things, and just talking about the the history of filmmaking in this particular province uh, in particular, and uh, and uh, that was a great show that that uh, I feel like I, I could go back and and revisit and re-listen to, and and maybe might be worth an update because I, I can think of some titles that we didn't watch uh for that show i, I don't think we watched squanto <laughs> a warrior's tale or uh or i don't even know if we watched dolores claiborne for that show and that's a film that i wouldn't mind going back and rewatching. no so. and and there's some some of um tom fitzgerald's films i don't know that we watched uh, i mean we talked about him but uh, for sure but yeah there's more i mean he's got he's got a lot of features now and uh there are more there are more to discuss i i remember um <clears throat> We've revisited Candy Mountain, which was a uh, uh, a film that I had seen on VHS in the early '90s, I think, maybe when I'd heard, just because I was interested in the musicians that acted in it, and I hadn't seen it since. So that was a real pleasure to go back and watch a second time. So on this episode of Lends Me Your Ears, we are talking about, well, we're kind of rambling around our 100th episode, and uh, I thought it was important to sort of remember all the good times we've had in cinemas. I mean, that was the sort of starting point. The, our our mandate for this podcast is to go see something in cinemas and then sort of get together afterwards, talk about it, and see where the conversation led us in terms of our memories of of other movies and and also you know uh provoke us uh prompt us to to watch older movies and uh i mean i i did through this whole pandemic i didn't realize how much i would miss it and i definitely do i mean i i figured i would but uh but it's a huge part of my lifestyle and i know it's part of yours as well steven and and uh it, it's really prompted me to think about how many great times i've had at the movies in cinemas um not just here in halifax but uh earlier in my life as well in toronto and in london where i went to high school um it's it's just uh it's been a constant and to not be able to go has been, uh, it's been, I mean, I guess it's a first world problem, but not really because cinema is a global language. So <laughs> I, I really do, uh, I really do miss it. Uh, you know, I just, I, I, I miss being there. I miss seeing things on the big screen. Oh, me too. In a big way. It's, you know, I, I, I I'm sure I go to the cinema at least twice a week, uh, if not more often, um, you know, on a, on a regular basis when things are regular, uh, you know, usually a first run film and, and then maybe one of the special presentations that Cineplex does or Carbon, you know, certainly Carbon Arc is a, is a vital part of uh, Halifax film going life that uh, I can't wait to see up and running again. Um, and, you know, Cineplex have their classics of the month and, and they have special presentations and uh, and that kind of thing mixed in with the regular uh, first run stuff, uh, at least at Park Lane. They, they do that. Sometimes they show it at some of the other cinemas. And, uh, I, you know, I try to support those uh, endeavors when I can, uh, just because I'd hate to see that vanish from from the big screen, especially if they're showing films that were meant to be seen on a massive screen. Uh, and uh, so... Yeah, it's, it's definitely a major linchpin of, of what I do. You know, I, I was off for the past week and I'm uh, just puttering around the house mostly and watching stuff on uh, on the screen at home. But, uh, you know, just normally if I took a staycation, 
I would probably head to a matinee or or do a, an evening double feature or something like that along the way. And of course, I don't have that. So we've been doing other things around the house and, and that's fine. You know, certainly lots to do, but uh, having that not be part of the equation is uh, in- increasingly frustrating as time goes by. It really is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it makes me think about, I try to think about some of my favorite experiences in cinemas. And of course, you know, here in, in, uh, in Nova Scotia, certainly the Atlantic International Film Festival, or as it's known now, Finn, is uh, a big part of that too. And, and it really reminds me that we live in a community of film lovers. And that's the best part of September every year. It's like getting together with a group of people really keen to see the new film that has been heralded from Cannes or from other, or from Berlin, you know, and that we've been reading about for the past three or four months. And now it's, we're finally getting a chance to see it. Uh, that's a huge deal. Uh, and, you know, um, you know, art house movies. I mean, like yourself, I have a broad appetite. I have a thirst for different kinds of movies. But, but I, I remember. I got to tell a story. Uh, I remember the first time I really experienced art house, so to speak, and it was when I was in high school in London, and I went to see the Cook, the Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, the Peter Greenaway. Oh wow! <laughs> in in cinemas, and it had been it had gotten a lot of press uh time out which is the weekly guide that uh was published on paper at the time uh in london had read an article about it and i knew that this was a big deal and i didn't really understand why but it was something everyone was buzzing about this film and i went to see it and i just i i was completely floored by it i didn't know what was happening <laughs> I, i'd never seen anything like it before and i mean frankly there's not much that is like it I and mean, even now thinking back on peter greenaway i mean he has made a lot of really idiosyncratic unusual films but uh but the cook the thief his wife and her lover is uh is something special and you know helen mirren of of course now is a huge star everyone knows her from the queen and her other other great work uh but at the time you know she was i guess she was known in british theater circles and british cinema but i didn't really know her very well and i just uh, you know or michael gambon for that matter and i yeah i just was kind of stunned uh by by the film and and that that to me and i remember thinking to myself okay like this is go it's this feels like i'm i've gone to an a gallery experience i'm this is this is reaching out beyond what i previously thought of as film this is this is a storytelling in a whole other other manner a whole other form that uh that kind of flattened me in a way in a really great way yeah that that's an always an amazing experience the first time you see a movie that really really expands your boundaries of of what you know cinema and film is all about um and uh, and that's a that's a great starting point because that movie you know just breaks so many boundaries and and in terms of storytelling and, and character and and uh and expectations of what you can actually get away with in a, in a feature film so uh, that, that's kind of jumping in at the deep end in a lot of ways i would think you know peter greenaway uh <laughs> mine my, my experience is you know kind of dipping my toe in with uh, of course the, the late lamented wormwood's dog and monkey cinema um oddly enough uh, a couple of weeks ago was the i think the hundredth uh birthday or no i'm trying to think it was or 150 years maybe since the birth of uh edwin porter the uh the compatriot of uh thomas alva edison who is credited with making if not the first one of the first important uh, narrative feature films which is the great train robbery and he brought film to canada for the first time 
uh, only like within a year of the first exhibition of motion pictures in New York City in the late 1800s, he came to Halifax with Wormwood's Dog and Monkey Cinema or Dog and Monkey Theater, I should say. And uh, so basically he was traveling around with a projector or as uh, one of the Halifax newspapers actually wrote a, a report on it. And it was a uh, a photographic uh, presentation device. They didn't even have a name for it yet. It wasn't called film. It weren't called motion pictures or movies. Uh, it was a projection device, uh, much like Magic Lanterns before them. And he came to he actually came to Halifax and it's one of the first recorded uh, incidents of uh, films being shown in Canada. And basically he showed some some films. I guess there were actualities, maybe some short comic subjects. I'm not 100% sure, but the short film subjects that were shown between trained monkeys and dogs. So um, if, if you go online, you can find a, a write-up about this this uh, this presentation, which happened at the, uh, the Music Academy Theater, uh, which is at the bottom of spring which would have been at the bottom of spring garden road and barrington street there um which later became the capitol theater which was built on that site and then now it's maritime center but uh but yeah that was that was like film history being made in canada and then um so anyway a bunch of local film buffs took that name from the history books wormwood's dog and monkey theater and uh that's what they started up uh, halifax's first rep cinema as i know that's a, a winding digression but it's such a fascinating tale about how how, how it was connected to film <laughs> history and uh and i just happened to be i was in halifax i was pretty young i think it was, i was probably in junior high maybe in grade seven and my parents were in Halifax to do some Christmas shopping. And they, I saw that there was a poster for a screening of The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms with uh, animation by uh, Ray Harryhausen. And that was playing at Wormwood's Dog and Monkey Cinema, which was in the old National Film Board building on Barrington Street. And uh, I saw a poster for it. It just happened to be showing that day, that afternoon. And I persuaded them to let me go to that while they went off and did their shopping. And that's what happened. And uh, and I got to see a 16 millimeter projection of this really amazing film which actually has a nova scotia scene early in the film where the beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms comes ashore and destroys a lighthouse i guess in nova scotia or something like that at the start of the film and uh and then uh so I, that got me aware of this small independent theater that was showing offbeat stuff and uh i think some point i think i maybe went to a couple of other kind of revival black and white saturday matinee kind of screenings but at some point i went to a screening of the 1982 french drama the return of martin Guerre, uh starring gerard depardieu and i think that if i had to think back that was probably the first kind of foreign subtitled you know art house film and i think i saw it because i, I saw a, a reference to it maybe on siskel and ebert um had talked about it on their show and then i saw it was playing at wormwoods and uh so i always go back to that film as kind of my first uh kind of awakening as far as sort of international cinema goes uh and gerard depardieu plays this guy who comes home from the hundred years war but is he really martin Guerre, or is he just somebody he's been away for so long people have kind of forgotten what he looks like almost um so there's this it's, it's a bit of a mystery as to whether or not he actually is Martin Guerre, just somebody pretending to be this guy who went off to fight in the war a decade before. And um, 
so and then and that was i just found the film fascinating i loved its uh you know its historic setting uh the style of acting of course was very different from the hollywood movies and the you know let's face it kids movies that i'd seen uh, up to that point and uh it just made me want to see more of that stuff at some point i, f- I found a vhs copy of fellini's eight and a half and I, I knew the name fellini his name was kind of synonymous with uh sort of fantastic foreign cinema and i watched that and just found it completely fascinating uh and then that kind of got the ball rolling there there you go. Well, those are all really great formative experiences, Stephen. I, I'm a little envious of you, actually. <laughs> um, I also wanted to tell the story of, uh, on a, again, taking it to the other direction entirely. Uh, my first time seeing Terminator 2 Judgment Day. <laughs> I was in uh, New York City that summer, and I saw it on opening night, Friday night, uh, in July of 1991, uh, at the cinema at the corner of Broadway and 19th Street in Manhattan. And uh, it was a packed house, and people were geared up for this film because it would had a lot of advanced press and a lot of uh, publicity and uh, people applauded the special effects. I'd never been in a movie where people clapped after some amazing special effects and let's face it Terminator 2 was cutting edge James Cameron, you know, made some incredible uh, you know, forward moves with that film and uh, it was such a blast. People throwing popcorn at the screen and, and just a full audience participation and I think since then I, I've all sought that out, and this is the reason I think I go. I try and go and see a lot of like. Obviously, a lot of movies open on Friday, but the first screenings are usually Thursday night at seven. And and if it's a movie I'm really looking forward to and something I know will have a big audience impact, I try and get into those seven o'clock screenings. And in recent years, I've had a lot of great experience with the Marvel movies, MCU, with all of their rabid fans on those Thursday night at 7 p.m. screenings at Park Lane and and uh but I gotta say maybe my favorite audience experiences uh in Halifax for a movie watching Grindhouse at Park Lane on opening night and that was the one where they had the Robert Rodriguez film and then the Tarantino film and in between they had the fake uh, trailers, including Jason Eisner's Hobo with a Shotgun, which at the time was just a trailer, and he had won that contest, and the trailer had was attached to that print, and we were all so thrilled to see it, and it was so much fun, and the movies, I mean, the movies were, well, we could... <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if if anyone considers uh, Tarantino's film from that uh, from from Grindhouse to be uh, you know his best, but uh, or Rodriguez's for that matter. But the whole experience of being there was so great. We, everyone was so geared up. And then not too long later, a couple of years later, when Hobo with a Shotgun showed and Eisner was there, we all felt like I think everyone who loved movies in Halifax were on that ride with Eisner and and loved the fact that he was getting all this recognition and loved the fact that he got Rutger Hauer to be the star of his movie and loved the fact that he shot it here in Halifax and in Dartmouth and the movie came out and it was outrageous and I don't think I've ever seen people get so excited about a, gr- a busload of kids get flamethrown. You know, uh, is that even a, is that even a verb? Flamethrown. Sure. Flamethrown. Sure, why not? <laughs> and uh, it was just a blast. It was so much fun to be there for it. And those are the kinds of experience now that I I really 
I, that I get a real big kick out of. Uh, you know, and it, it can happen for any kind of movie in a way you don't even expect. I mean, seeing Parasite at the uh, international at the Atlantic International Film Festival last September had a similar kind of vibe where I just, you know, we walked out and we we're all sort of blinking, going, "Whoa, we just saw something tonight." <laughs> uh, that's that's what we. That's I I love that moment of being in the cinema and seeing something really outrageous and really uh, affecting. And then that moment of being in the hall afterwards in the foyer and looking at the faces of people who I know and don't know and and seeing that, oh, yeah, we had that communal experience just a few minutes ago. And it was really special. Yeah, I remember those Grindhouse uh, screenings, uh, the, the hobo one at the Oxford and also the, the previous Grindhouse one at Park Lane. They were pretty pretty amazing and and just uh, i mean grindhouse because i was already into that genre and the original format thanks to companies like something weird and uh, sinister cinema they're digging up these old 70s bottom of the barrel b pictures uh you know so so seeing this new iteration of it um that really captured the spirit of, of, of those days. You know, when I was too young to go see the exploitation films that played at the casino theater at midnight or, or uh, here in Halifax or what have you, you know, it was, it was really kind of gratifying to be able to at least experience a kind of uh, a reasonable facsimile of that on the big screen and, and seeing people get into it. It's a shame that uh, there was never a grindhouse too, but obviously it was not a big moneymaker. Um, you know, I'm sure hobo with the shotgun did much better because that, that was a big hit on home video and uh, got a lot of play in the States and, and, and so on. And I remember that show at the Oxford, uh, they reused a prop uh, from the film where there was like a, a dead body draped over a shopping cart. And in the film, Rutger Hauer kind of comes like cuts his way out of this dead body. And they basically redid it only with Jason in the shopping cart, kind of bursting through this, you know, dead foam rubber body splayed out over a shopping cart. And so it was kind of having seen that scene get filmed when I, I was on the set uh, for a day and when they did that. And so it was fun to see it uh, in, uh, see it sort of replayed again in the aisle of the Oxford theater, which sadly is now a rock climbing gym. Um, weird, weirdly, uh, you know, I, I was thinking of, you mentioned seeing films in Manhattan. I, I, I can only say I've been to movies in New York a couple of times. One was a revival screening of Kurosawa's Ron, which I, uh, I I just adore that film, and it was great to see the the latest restoration at that point. And uh, and th- in fact, uh, I think in uh, we we listed our sort of top five favorite films in episode thirty one, which is our getting to know you or getting to know us episode, which I recommend going back and listening to because it, you know we're trying not to touch on some of the same stuff we talked about there, but uh, but uh, I I do remember going to see Highlander Endgame at the at some cinema in Union Square with a friend of mine. We've been walking around New York all day, and we just wanted to flake out in a movie theater and we both had a sort of love-hate relationship with the Highlander series um you know I remember seeing Highlander 2 the quickening in a theater in Dartmouth and people were booing and you know yelling comments back to the screen it turned into a mystery science theater screening because the film was that bad and it really is that bad if you want to see a terrible film that's fun to make fun of I recommend that so we went into Highlander Ed game and with a New York audience and it was kind of the same you know people started making comments and once once we everyone realized that it was kind of a lost cause uh, I think we kind of had some fun with it so that, that's probably my most memorable uh, New York uh, experience but um, 
you know, I, I, that's a good one. Man. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Like, you know, they don't hold back. You know, it would have been nice to have gone to some of those theaters in Times Square before it got all Disneyfied and uh, and see some of the, you know, the, the, the 42nd Street movie theaters, the actual grindhouse theaters. But uh, sadly, that that was a little before my time. Uh, I don't have a ton of sort of uh, going to the movies in foreign country experiences. All I do remember when I was in Ireland in the early 90s, and there's a really great Irish, you know, Irish national theater film cinema theater i guess in dublin and uh going to see uh a 70 millimeter screening of the deer hunter there uh in that theater and it was it was it was really terrific and plus you could actually you could actually buy a beer at the movie theater which was nice uh (laughs) which you know something that hasn't really carried over here yet although i guess cineplex are doing it in some other places they had been it'd be nice to see that carry over (laughs) To, to 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 this part of the world but um you know see seeing movies uh there in in a real respectful um film archive you know i still haven't been to the british film institute in london but i keep looking at their schedule and seeing all the amazing programs they put on and just wishing i could you know do a film vacation in london when they're doing a particularly interesting retrospective um you know, going to the movies in Iceland was fun. Again, you could drink beer in the theater there. I think I think somebody was even smoking in the theater when I was there. I don't know if it was permitted or was somebody who actually worked at the theater and didn't care. But uh, but that that was an interesting experience. But uh, you know, it, it's the the promise of something like that happening is something that keeps you going back to the theater over and over again. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I also want to give a quick shout out to those people who organize the preview screenings. Occasionally, we we have those. We get to see them in places like Bears Lake, uh, Harris Foley, and uh, Josh McDonald. And uh, you know, those people. Uh, we're often in those crowds, and uh, people who have gotten free tickets from uh, radio stations in the uh, in the area. And uh, that was how we first saw <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road back in 2015. And and I, I just remember everyone's face coming out of that screening, sort of a shock and awe that we had seen anything, which I think now it's pretty much recognized as one of the great action movies of all time. And uh, boy, that was a great night. Yeah, that 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 one is hard to beat. That seeing that for the first time without any advanced knowledge of what we were about to see, not knowing if it was even going to be good, uh, and then just being completely blown out of your seat by it uh, was was truly special. The F-Bombing New York Times bestsellers, Thug Kitchen. Gwyneth Paltrow's two-time co-author, Julia Tertian. The polite and proper Great British Bake Off's food stylist. What do they all have in common? They're all at the intersection of culinary arts and pop culture. And they've all been guests on The Food Podcast. A Village Soundcast network production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. If you really want to connect with someone, Just write them a letter. It was a dark and stormy night. The only light came from a lantern swinging from the gatepost. A pathway to where? What's your pathway? What's in your brown paper bag? I think for me, it's more about a feeling. Is that when I'm writing about food, I'm really writing about people. It was a springboard to learn about culture, history, and of course, health. As a story, I almost want there to be some internal conflict, even if it is just eggs or French toast. I am the architect of my own health. I decide what direction I go in. I build its foundation with every thought I think and with what I eat. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. 
Welcome back to the centennial edition of Lens Mirror Ears. This is episode 100. And uh, we sort of, uh, we've been, I don't know if we've been stressing about how we're going to handle this uh, this landmark, but I'm, I, I, I love the fact that it's kind of been a, a casual gab fest, which is kind of how the show got off the ground in the first place. Just uh, casual chats about uh, about movies that uh, somebody's heard and thought, well, that could be a show. Hearing two completely dedicated film nerds with slightly different backgrounds uh, coming together to talk about new films and old films and uh, obscure films and and maybe re-examining some films that everybody knows like the back of their hand. So that's that's kind of what we've been doing for these last 100 episodes. Uh, and uh, so we thought, uh, well, why not just kind of go back to our roots a little bit and, uh, and just talk about our favorite uh, movie-going experiences. Now, of course, uh, as of this recording, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this show, but uh, we are still in the middle of a pandemic uh, here. You know, so we're really missing out on on that big screen experience that we love to celebrate so much on this program. But uh, that doesn't mean we haven't uh, been watching movies over the last few weeks. Certainly there's uh, there's not a lot else you can do. And uh, a lot of public gatherings are, are verboten and uh, a lot of the kind of social activity that we normally be indulging with indulging in is... Uh, is on hold for the time being. So uh, I've certainly been watching lots of films, uh, you know, streaming and uh, on home video, uh, you know, on physical media and, uh, you know, recorded off TCM. That's something I do an awful lot is, uh, you know, I go through the TCM schedule and just, you know, load up my DVR with films that have, uh, you know, both classic and then foreign and, and even a few sort of more up-to-date things that, that pop up on there. But that's, that's you know, that's kind of my my rotating uh, movie-watching-at-home habits are, are, are fairly... Uh, I try to keep it fairly diverse between different sources and, and media. Yeah, I have to confess, I have been uh, uh, indulging in a little bit of retail therapy uh, online <laughs> uh, with ordering a few things and picking a few things up. And uh, I, I, uh, I certainly been watching a lot of things on streaming services. But uh, I did get a couple of physical media uh, box sets recently. I, I, I found a personal journey with Martin Scorsese through American movies. I was able to find a copy of that on DVD. So I'm, I remember watching that ages ago. And that is a real a real joy for anyone who loves uh, films. Uh, Scorsese has an incredible knowledge of films going way back, and uh, watching watching that documentary is a little bit like you need to have a notepad and pen handy so you can write down the titles of these movies because he, he goes through so many, many of which I'd never heard of before, and and uh, they all look really terrific. Um, I also found uh, a fourteen film uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, box set that I am looking forward to getting into. Many of those films, of course, we did watch um, when we did our Hitchcock episode, but uh, there's still plenty more that I haven't seen. Is that the Universal uh, set? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I believe so. Oh, um, and uh, and then there's, and speaking of Mad Max, uh, I've, I managed to track down the Black and Chrome edition, which is apparently in, yeah, it's black and white. Uh, and I know uh, they recently did that with with Parasite too, but I with Mad Max. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I want to see it. Obviously, or I wouldn't have purchased it. But uh, how much more would black and white bring to that film? I feel like the color scheme is so evocative and and rich that uh, I, I'm really not sure what to expect from a, the black and chrome edition. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Even though it was not filmed in Australia, it was I believe filmed in Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but- that's right, Namibia. But uh, that uh, that sun baked desert 
harsh tan and brown kind of background. I, I feel like that's a big part of and, and part of the other Mad Max films as well. But I feel like that's kind of a crucial part of, of the whole thing. But I, I've certainly as an experiment, I'd be curious to see it for sure. Um, yeah, no, me too. Me too. And that Scorsese uh, documentary is terrific. I actually have that on Laserdisc. <laughs> I, got, <laughs> I, got, I got that on Laserdisc. I actually got a review copy of that when I was writing for a couple of different um, websites and publications and doing actual Laserdisc reviews. Uh, the glory days. And and that was a, that was a real eye-opener, especially in terms of uh, Westerns. I didn't know anything about Andre de Toth or Bud Bedecker Westerns. And uh, that was a fascinating chapter and and really sent me into a deep dive on Westerns, which was a genre I'd seen a lot of the highlights, John Ford and and so on. But but uh, that really sent me after the films of those guys and uh, was not disappointed by those recommendations and film noir. A lot of uh, film noir titles I was never aware of get mentioned there. And that was a, a, a real, uh, real lesson there as well. So I, I yeah, definitely recommend seeking that out. Um, I've been trying to hold off on the physical media thing uh, just because, you know, budgetary concerns and everything, uh, you know, in these times of uncertainty, as every other uh, commercial likes to tell us, uh, (laughs) I've sort of been feeling a bit of that uncertainty and trying not to overdo, uh, you know, those kind of personal purchases. But then, of course, recently, uh, Twilight Time, the uh, purveyor of kind of maybe not super deluxe editions of things, uh, they're certainly not putting out criterion level quality editions of things, but they're, they're certainly doing, um, you know, high grade presentations of some lesser known and some really well-known feature films, but that company has decided to call it a day. One of the co-founders of the company passed away not too long ago. And I think that was kind of, um, I think, I think towards the end of last year, he passed away. And I, I think that was one of the sort of motivating factors for them winding down their uh, production and uh, their their back catalog is going to go to another retailer that had been helping them along all this time. So I, I did a bit of a binge there when they were putting a bunch of things on sale and so on, filling a few holes in the collection and some, some, some titles I might have been curious about. Um, but when you see a Blu-ray of a Ken Loach film you've never seen for four bucks, you know, you're going to leap on that opportunity. So uh, I've got a number of things coming from from them. Uh, but but a lot of stuff, I've been trying, like I say, trying to get my money's worth out of my Criterion channel um, subscription and, and uh, you know, so some of the interesting uh programming series they've been doing on turner classic movies um you know they they did some uh some some rare presentations of uh of asian americans in hollywood films from the 30s and 40s so i saw you know a couple of anime wong films that were really intriguing daughter of shanghai and phantom of chinatown you know where they actually had asian actors playing modern characters and not necessarily delving into all the sort of Charlie Chan stereotypes and so on and 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 things on criterion like come and see the the devastating russian drama about uh from 1985 about the, the what the german invasion uh the effect that that had on russian villages along the uh the uh i guess for the eastern front and and that's that's a film i'd always wanted to see it's 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 a, a real blistering, heart-wrenching experience. I recommend it. It may not be a film you want to return to, but it's definitely one that is is worth seeing. And I'm I'm glad I finally got around to uh, to seeing that and experiencing that. So uh, de- definitely lots to see and, and enjoy, and lots of holes to to pl- plug in my uh, movie going um, or film watching uh, resume, as it were. 
Yeah, well, there's always more films to watch, exactly. more holes to be seen in international cinema. Uh, I have uh, watched a few things that uh, that actually uh, would, you know, qualify in that on that front. Uh, on Mubi, the uh, uh, streaming service, I watched Emma. That's the Pablo Lorraine film, and uh, it's pretty amazing and i i'm a fan of lorraine anyway though i haven't seen some of his earlier films uh i i did really like jackie and i like the club um this is a is a is a really a vivid uh thriller i guess you could say it's it's about the sort of aftermath of trauma there's a a couple emma and gaston um and uh uh Emma played by Mariana Di Girolamo and uh, Gaston played by Gail Garcia Bernal. And uh, it's it's a it's sort of about their relationship falling apart. Uh, he she's a lead dancer and he's a choreographer in a modern dance company. And they had a, an, a child that they gave up and now are feeling enormous amount of guilt and recrimination about it. And she wants to reconnect with this child. And so uh, we basically follow her as she sets in motion a, a plan to do this. And it requires her basically seducing or manipulating everyone around her. And uh it is a, it starts a little awkwardly and a little weird i wasn't sure i was quite on board with what with what was happening because it's constantly referring to previous events that i didn't understand and but then when it gets going it's really something special like it's uh it's all it, there's a lot of dance in the film uh as these these dancers uh uh, you know, connect to uh, reggaeton and uh, and dance in the streets, and and Emma also has a strange predilection for pyromania that gets worked into the story. It's a gorgeous looking film in and uh, has a hypnotic score, and it's all shot in Valparaiso, a, fil- uh, a city in Chile that I don't know very well, but you really get a sense of it from the cinematography. Um, it is a, a dazzling new film and i was really excited to see that so i'd i recommend that if you're if you're looking for something a little different and uh movie is a is a streaming service where they have permanently they have 30 movies they always have 30 movies to watch and then over the course of the month one every day one gets dropped off and one gets added so uh there's a constant shift you basically have you know a certain amount of time to watch films and on that service and it's it's uh yeah they and they have a lot of interesting international cinema there Well, I have to say that episode of Lens Me Your Ears flew by. I don't know where the time went. And again, that's often how it goes every week here on the show. Karsten and I start talking about uh, films and, and uh, the next thing you know, the counter is winding down and we're running out of time before we've even uh, gotten to everything we want to talk about. So we probably could have gone for another half hour or so, but we're 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 bound by the constraints of an hour here on the show and uh, I hope that uh, you found some stuff that was interesting about the movie going experience and about the fun that we've had making this show for the last five years it's, it's been fun and we look forward to to doing another hundred because I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, lots of material to work with in the years to come absolutely there is no end of things to talk about and uh, you know I I think we're gonna just keep going forward exploring filmmakers and actors and performers uh, and uh, and genre you know although we've done a lot of genre I think there's more to be done I I do uh, uh, you know one of the 
sad, the most recent news, uh, sad news that we've heard in the past week was the passing of the great American filmmaker Lynn Shelton. And uh, I think Stephen, uh, I think that's going to be the next on our plate in terms of, uh, of looking at some of her work and discussing it uh, on episode 101. For sure. Her, her films are so funny and warm and human. I mean, those words have been tossed around a lot, but, but, you know, she has a real connection to her characters and to, to how people behave and relate to each other. And, and I, I, I just watched, uh, uh, or your sister, sister last night and just, uh, just marveled at, at just how well these characters intermeshed and how they related to each other and how, you know, the, how realistic they are, but still funny and cinematic at the same time. Uh, she, uh, she had a, a personal touch that uh, will be much missed, and I, I look forward to revisiting some films of hers that I'd seen and also uh, seeing some of the things in her filmography that I hadn't seen. And that's, of course, what we do every week and why we keep coming back to doing the show. Very good. Well, uh, yeah, I'll look forward to, to seeing some of her work uh, that I haven't seen, as you say. And uh, and who knows what 102, 103 and beyond will, will bring. <laughs> exactly. Maybe hopefully somewhere in there we'll be back in the theater. There's certainly films that were supposed to come out this year that hopefully we will get a chance to see at some point. Uh, you know, I knew I know there's a, a new um, Christopher Nolan film that is just uh, chomping at the bit to get into theaters. Uh, the new Wonder Woman film, uh, I you know really want to see that especially with its 1980s setting uh some some interesting thrillers promising young woman and antebellum there's there's a lot that has been put on hold that hopefully when the floodgates get reopened uh we'll have access to them on a big screen in an, in the dark in a theater uh with other movie lovers so uh let's keep our fingers crossed and and knock on wood and hope that that happens uh when everything is safe and um healthy to do so uh my name is stephen cook and uh of course i'm here every week and you can uh, find me on twitter at ns underscore s-c-o-o-k-e and i'm karsten knox you can also find me on twitter uh named after my blog which is flaw in the iris and of course you can communicate with us via twitter there's an at lends me your ears account we also have a facebook page where you can leave comments and and so on and uh if you feel like supporting this podcast we do have a patreon if you feel like sending some money our way to help cover the costs of production and so on and um that would be great if you can help out any way you can or rate and review us on itunes that's also a great way to support the show so thanks for your time we're glad you spent these 100 episodes or however many of these episodes you spent with us and we'll keep coming back for for more down the road and uh thanks as always to the folks at the village soundcast network who keep uh keep things sounding pretty with the uh, final production polish and of course ckdu 88.1 fm which can also use public support uh through through the course of the year they of course uh, are in kind of quarantine mode but you can tune into them at ckdu.ca online and uh, hear us every other tuesday at 5 30 p.m thanks for your time and we'll uh, see you next time take it easy lens mere ears is hosted by stephen cook and karsten knox and is produced in halifax nova scotia at village sound for the village soundcast network all music courtesy of gypsophilia send feedback to lens me your ears podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you thanks for listening This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 